0: Anchored is a production of the Classic Learning Test, based in Annapolis, Maryland, reconnecting knowledge and virtue through meaningful assessments. Visit us at cltexam.com slash get started. Today's episode of Anchored is brought to you with support from America's Christian Credit Union. Find out how ACCU can be the banking partner to your school or family by visiting americaschristiancu.com CLT. Welcome back to the Anchored Podcast, the official podcast of the Classic Learning Test. My name is Soren Schwab, VP of Partnerships here at CLT, and today we're joined by Rochelle Cairns. Rochelle was born and raised in Toronto, Canada, but now resides in Seattle. She received her Bachelor of Arts at the University of Toronto with a focus in fine arts and art history, as well as her diploma in art from Sheridan College. Cairns is an accomplished artist exhibiting in Canada, the United States, and Switzerland commissioned by companies such as Tiffany & Co, Disney, and P&O Cruises, her work resides in numerous private and public art collections worldwide, and we are so honored to have Rochelle on the podcast. Welcome to Anchored Rochelle.
1: Oh, thank you for having me.
0: Oh, this is going to be so delightful. We I don't think we've we've had poets and and we've had authors on the podcast. Uh, I think you are the first artist on the podcast. So I'm really excited to pick your brain a little bit there. But before we do, we start the Anchored Podcast always talking about our guests' own educational journey. So you grew up in Canada. What kind of schools did you attend? What kind of education did you receive?
1: Yeah, I received a very normal, kind of like a very normal education growing up. I grew up in the public school system. My parents had bought a home that basically allowed us to walk to elementary school and then literally walk to high school as well. So it was a great location for the home, but that was just the standard that I grew up with. So I was like very normal, very subpar, (laughs) (laughs) For my feeling what our kids are getting now. um, Yeah, it was just a very normal education. But then I, you know, I chose very intentionally to go into the arts at University of Toronto. And as much as I loved my education through the University of Toronto and the fine arts and art history That came with that. Just to be very honest, I kind of came out very disillusioned as an artist. uh, I didn't know my place as a Christian artist in particular. I didn't really subscribe to the whole starving artist kind of thing. (laughs) And, And then I didn't really have any major political agenda. And so I just felt like, okay, I obviously, I guess I just don't have a fit here. And so I ended up actually in sales for five years, as most fine art graduates do. (laughs) (laughs) Through a crazy set of circumstances, I was able to, you know, come back and be able to start being a professional artist in 2004. And I stuck with it. Um, And the Lord really did a work in my heart and really helped me to see, you know, what i can do and what i can say as an artist as a christian artist in this world
0: Wow. i'm so and i'm so glad that you that you made that decision i i've spoken with some folks that that wanted to pursue you know graduate school or phd in you know in the humanities and, and they kind of felt the same way it's like well unless i do everything through the lens of something with which i really at the core disagree i don't fit in i don't i don't have a spot um but then again we often think of artists of going you know counterculture right and are going swimming against the current so i guess you you took that route
1: i did um and i really think like i have to kind of pay tribute to makoto fujimara if you've heard of him uh he he doesn't know and i don't know him personally but he's been a huge mentor in my artist walk and artist journey but he and his book art and faith Really, kind of help give language to this to me. He talked about how the imagination like art has often been seen as, you know, suspect by some Christians, um, largely driven by a fear that art will lead us away from the truth, and into more of like an anarchic, you know, freedom of expression kind of thing. Mm -hmm. right? And I think that may be true for some, I'm not going to discount that thinking. But it's definitely not for me. And for I think so many of us who are attracted and drawn to beauty to beautiful things. And when I immerse myself in nature, I can't like I can't help but feel close to God it was through my understanding of God as creator, that things really started to shift for me. And I think it's important for us to really like, stop and think about it, right? Like, when we say that God is creator, we have to also understand that it means that he is creative. And I I think it's just so easy for us to miss this. Like, we can't forget to remember that he's the one that first created colors, (laughs) all the colors, like the grass, the sky, the stars, like he creatively thought of it all. Like when I paint, I always have some sort of reference point, a frame of reference, whether it be water, chandeliers, light, but like, God had no reference point. <laughs> like when he created, he created these things like on his own, from his own imagination, out of absolutely nothing. And I just think that that's crazy. <clears throat> and I truly believe that he designed all these things to bring us joy like yeah. sunrises and sunsets, and the waves and the ocean and the mountains. For our enjoyment, our pleasure, our inspiration, and to draw us to Himself. And, you know, Makoto, um, as I referred to here, I'm going to paraphrase what he's saying here, but he talks about the fact that God moves in our hearts to be experienced and then makes all, all of us to be artists of the kingdom. And that act of making can lead us to know the Creator personally, even though that experience is not a guarantee of that knowledge. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think it's also really important for us to remember that the Word of God is active and alive, and that God the artist communicates to us first before God the lecturer. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I, I think that my heart really resonates with this so deeply with this. I find that First first off, as an artist, it's my purpose and hope for what I do to be able to reflect back to him how beautiful I think his creativity is. That's He's my audience of one, right? <laughs> like, yeah. But then it's also my hope for anyone who encounters my work that I want the viewer to be drawn to the light, be mesmerized by it, because maybe one day it will lead them to the truth with a capital T, right? Or mm-hmm. beauty with a capital B or light with a capital L, right? Like it'll, it'll be, he'll they'll be drawn to himself. And that's, that's what I hope for and what I do.
0: Well, and, and perfect transition point, because I was going to ask you, you know, in, in this this liberal arts or classical renewal movement that, that we're seeing here uh, in the United States, a lot of the focus is on, on truth, goodness, and beauty, right? And and in that, yeah. a capital T, a capital G, a capital B. How do you when you think about your art? uh, Does it influence when you paint when you think about your art? And if so, how?
1: Yeah, I definitely resonate with truth, beauty and goodness. And I think for sure, I if I had to put one as most important or the one that always gets me first, it would be beauty. Beauty happens to always be the catalyst for sure. But I would also say that my art has, you know, truth and goodness, too. Like I was just describing before how I want, you know, people to be drawn Mm -hmm. to that truth. I think, yeah, like my work, you know, when I talk about it being light inspired, that really is a subtle way of saying it's inspired by God. Mm -hmm. And so I, I I endeavor to be able to paint his beauty. Like I I was saying, like I reflect it uh, in, in all that I paint and all that I do.
0: Yeah. It's inter- I mean, it, it's. I think sometimes we talk about you know disparagingly about modern art, right, and contemporary yeah. artists, you know. But it is interesting because so much, in, in my limited knowledge, seems to be about just shocking, right, and just about creating this this kind of effect. Where for the longest time, I mean, millennia, right, it was to glorify, right, it was to represent objective, right, values in nature in the art. And so you're departing kind of from that. But in a way, you're just going back to what maybe art used to be.
1: Yeah, I, potentially. I also think that it's still, I think it's like a forever kind of truth that his creation is meant to stir awe and wonder in mm. us. And I think if and when we pause long enough to think about it and to actually observe it, you can so easily get there. (laughs) And I think that's the thing. Like it's, it's there around us every day, all the time, but it's whether or not we want to pay attention to it. And so it was when I started to pay attention to light, it was random, but I had been doing a personal devotional study about mercy in my own walk. Like, when I graduated from university, I still hadn't found my artistic voice. I had been dabbling in a ton of things. And you can definitely, like, if you look back, you see streams of, of you know, how I got to where I got to. But it, I still hadn't discovered, you know, my voice or the circle kind of like as my thing yet. And that came way later for me. That was when I happened to be studying the word mercy. And I was asking God the question, what does it look like? And not really knowing that I was asking for an artistic voice, if that makes any sense. I wasn't, I didn't put the two and two together at all. It was just my own personal curiosity that I was like, kind of following up on. And so fast forward, it was 2006. And, you know, I'm on a dock, overlooking the water, a typical, very beautiful scene, right? Like when you think about it, and you know, that it was a cloudy day, but then the, the clouds parted, and the light started to dance on the water. And my first thought was, this is it. Mercy is like light. It's all around us. It covers us. Without it, life would be very dark. And I felt that that was like an inspired moment of truth. And so... From that point on, my entire life as a as a professional artist changed. I became slightly obsessed with (laughs) watching, like observing water, observing light on water, watching for its patterns, um, it's the colors, how seasons change the colors, how time of day affects things, uh, how there's shadows in play with you know hues and. And all of that became. I became like slightly obsessed with and then endeavored to begin to paint it. Um, And it was interesting because at that time I had not had any success as an artist at all. Um, But I took those very first, you know, three paintings called my Mercy Skate paintings. and, And I'll never forget it like that. It was such a different, I'd been to so many, at this point I had been going for basically 2 years full time and had not gotten anywhere with the work and uh, but yet at that show people resonated with it and it's amazing to me to watch that and witness that because I think that beauty as I was saying before like it's it's still shocking it's still yeah. magnificent it's like and I think it's sometimes more magnificent than some of the other kinds of shocking, or that kind of delve into more the dark and evil and, and mysterious kind, you know, kind. Yeah. I think, I think, I think beauty can be just as if not more shocking and glorious in a way that people resonate with, because everybody wants to, you know, be in touch with and experience beautiful things.
0: It so, reminds me a little bit of of Narnia, you know, Aslan. Is yeah. he is he safe? No, but he's good, right? And if yes. it's something that's awe inspiring, I mean, it yes. is. It is. A, you feel small, and there is the sub- sublime. But that that can still be that can still be shocking, um, right. and can really wake awaken you to a larger truth. Um, talk to me a little bit about. Uh, and we have a lot of uh, teachers, uh, homeschool parents that are listening to the podcast. I think it's. Safe to assume that you are a proponent of the teaching of art in K twelve, but the reality is that a lot of progressive education, right, has kind of removed uh, the humanities, removed the arts because they're not as quote unquote practical, right? It's all about workforce preparation. So, uh, what would be kind of your your uh, your case for for uh, teaching art in in kind of a K twelve setting and why?
1: Yeah, so I um, I am not gonna propose that I know what the right way to do it is. Um, mm. But I do think I'd like absolutely will say it's extremely important to be able to teach kids the importance of art in all of its forms and mediums, because I honestly believe it's the, the, the closest, most tangible thing for kids to understand the breadth and length and depth and height of God's love. Like to mm. see God as creator to see the Bible as an art form and that the journey to know God, um, you know, and again, I'm gonna quote Makoto Fujimara here that, you know, requires not just ideas and information, but the act of actually translating our ideas into physical movements and real objects. To me, that is like, it's absolutely tantamount to having a full picture of who God is. And so, um, so yes, I, I think that art is extremely important. And I think from a very early age too, like before even the, you know, kindergarten stage, I think that adopting a way in your home of helping your kids see beauty all around them, whether it be through... You know, sitting on a bed of grass and watching the clouds go by and noting the shapes in them or listening to a piece of music over and over again. And then maybe, you know, picking out specific instruments and how that makes you feel and, um, you know, shadow play. And like there's so like baking bread together, like I just making meals together. There's so much art that I think that exists in our homes that You know, we have the privilege of being able to help our kids enjoy um, and take pleasure in the wonder and the awe of, you know, of all that God has created. And so I think that that is really first and foremost important um, to be able to pass on to our kids and they will get that, you know, most of our teaching as parents, right, is more caught than taught. And uh, I've said this. (laughs) So they will pick up like, our, you know, sensibilities and our Mm -hmm. disciplines and our habits in a way that, you know, it just gets transferred to them. So I I also think it's super countercultural to be, to be slowing down, to be doing less and, and to be savoring the moments instead of, you know, more and more and more, which is what I think this world often touts as being a really good thing. But I I definitely am here to say that I don't think it's the best thing for our kids. And I don't think it's raising our kids to be critical thinkers that are thoughtful and articulate and able to, you know, understand why they feel and think the way that they do.
0: Michelle, you got my head spinning. I am thinking about a million different things, but, but, I, but I think you are so absolutely right, and 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 there there is especially in classical education, you know, and you, you said your your children go to to a classical school. The idea of skole, like this more restful learning, that it's that it's not all about just more and more and more and more and more, but really about the quality, not just the quantity. One of my favorite poets is is William Carlos Williams, and, and his poetry and art, it focuses a lot about the, the everyday beauty right Mm -hmm. that we have and the red wheelbarrow of course is this most famous one but but just Mm -hmm. appreciating that so I guess when Mm -hmm. I'm listening to you the way you talk about art or even the instruction of art is is more about preparing the heart to receive it right like to to be open to seeing it all around you and I guess when you told your story how you personally you finally saw that light so to speak and had that inspiration but would you say you have to be in a certain space or a certain environment to be receptive to that?
1: Yes, I I do think environment is really important. And actually, even for me, I would say personally, I didn't learn this fully, I felt until I had kids. And so like one of the evolutions in my in my work was so the Mercy Scape series is kind of what put me on the map as an artist. It definitely resonated and, it you know, I was able to be in a bunch of shows and started to be exhibited in galleries and things like that. And then I got married and had two kids in short order. They're only 12 months apart. And uh, and so I had to make some really big decisions. I pulled out of a bunch of galleries and, you know, knew that this was my number one priority was you know being wife and and mother and so that meant that i had to make some very practical decisions about how i was going to spend my time and uh, and i will say like those early years as a mother, <laughs> i struggled like that was not a simple thing for me at all it was painful and it was hard and I remember it was when Levi, who's my second born, when he was about a year and a half is when we finally found, you know, a really great caregiver and uh, who they're still friends with to this day. But uh, but she came like three times a week for me to just be able to get a little time in the studio because that was important, too. And we wanted to figure out how to continue to be able to do that well. And I basically entered the studio and just started painting Circle after circle, you know, I was so tired that I just like <laughs> it was more of just this thing, but yet it was it was a thing of joy to me, like these overlapping circles that were happening, and it was still light that I was thinking about and kind of reflecting in the work, but the work was changing, it looked totally different than the mercyscapes, and you know. One day, I was in the studio. I'm I'm painting away, and I was talking to God, which happens a lot in my studio. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm painting and talking, and kind of just going about my my day. And the Lord was like, "You know, the same joy that you're experiencing in this very mundane, very repetitious, you know, task is." is something that you can tap into when you're experiencing the very mundane, very ordinary things in life, such as all the feedings and all the dirty dishes and all the dirty diapers. And that was like a whoa moment again for me, because I was like, right, like, there is beauty in the mundane and there is beauty in this you know very repetitious very mundane kind of task that can be applied to that i think that that's a super important thing for our for our kids to pick up too like there's there's so many disciplines that they have in life that they do over and over again but yet yeah, if we choose it there is joy in it
0: well and 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 as you're talking i'm thinking about well, I'm an, I'm an athlete, and so I I I sometimes think about you know some of the greatest athletes, and you look at them, and and they it's almost like they defy some of the just basics, right? Because they're so good. But what you miss is the the countless hours that they've spent doing the basics, right? right. They mastered all the basics, which then allowed them to depart from that, so to speak. They right. had to work really hard towards having the freedom to break the norm, so to right. speak. And so I'm yeah. thinking about, especially about creativity and similar to, I guess, critical thinking, you know, with, as a former English teacher, like, how do we, how do you teach critical thinking, right? How do you teach creativity? How do you approach that topic? I mean, is is it something that, you know, you're just think creatively or is it maybe through the mundane and you 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 go through the motions over and over again until how did that come about for you and what would be your recommendation maybe even for teachers that are trying to instill creativity in their students
1: right so back to my earlier point i was remembering why why i was talking about beauty in the mundane what really changed in my work is that it became less about, and I will also get to your question. No,
0: you <laughs> um,
1: It became less about the end result for me, less about the final product and way more about the process. And it, it became all about enjoying the process, which then got me curious about, well, how am I approaching this process? Like, what What am I doing here to you know make sure that my life is what I call refer to as like sustainably creative you know what does that mm-hmm. look like what do I need What does my life need to look like in order to make sure that I don't you know go through burnout or right. you know the artist block as many people talk about and I literally think that, you know, when we're teaching art, some of the, like a lot of these things apply, it's about the process. It's about teaching the kids to enjoy the journey of it and, and really not letting them think too hard about the end result. It took hundreds of paintings for me to get to the point before somebody actually bought one, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I think that that like recognizing failure, embracing failure i I think it's just so I think we're so focused on end results in so much so much of our artistic endeavors that we forget that the journey's really the thing. And I think that's very, you know, it's a biblical principle and concept, too, that God talks about often. Uh, And we see that through, you know, so many different characters in the Bible. It's about what happens to them in the process that they are changed and transformed. And it's less about the end result. It really, that's not the thing to be focusing on. And so, how do we teach that? I think it comes with having great art teachers that are less focused on grades. And I know this will sound like crazy talk, no, right? but more about more that they are focused on how the kids are processing and going through the, the phases of creating something and how they uh, embrace their mistakes, how they're willing to let go of end result stuff. And I think if we paid more attention to that and somehow were able to affirm that within a classroom setting, I think I think it would be profound how much our mm. kids would learn and how quickly they would learn.
0: I love that. And I'm going to ask you here in a little bit of advice for for maybe aspiring artists that want to pursue a career, but but I think what we shouldn't forget, of course, is that Art is enriching to our lives, whether or not we're pursuing a career in arts or not, right? And so I think sometimes in a school setting, like you said, we focus so much on where it's 45 minutes and then you get a grade and then we're doing this in order to get, it's, it's almost like killing the joy oh, of the process, totally. right? Uh, of creating art or writing poetry or I, I really regret not having picked up writing poetry, but I always felt it like a chore. Right. Mm-hmm. It's just something that every now and then gets assigned and I get a grade. And so yeah. it, it kind of killed the joy of the process of, mm-hmm. of creating. And so I hope we don't do the same with with our students in in art. But there might be some some listeners that have have mm-hmm. children or maybe the children are listening themselves that know I got a gift and, mm-hmm. and I would love to do something with art. What, what what would be kind of your recommendation for for young aspiring artists?
1: create the space and the time for them to do it and affirm the process and and the journey of it and don't worry about the end results i think um something that my son picked up in COVID lockdowns was origami.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. and
1: it, I'll never forget that like, there was so many times like and it was so beyond me because I was like, dude, I can't help you. Like I have no idea what <laughs> this is about. Like there's so many other things I could help but this is like you've got me I have no clue. And it would be so frustrating to him to learn these like major and we're talking like massive sheets that he would then fold into these tiny crevices and creases and it would take hours and hours and it you know tears for sure at certain points too right but all i could do was just affirm the journey i just was like like this is amazing like look at that you know that pattern that crease pattern that you've been able to create even if you don't create anything from it that's amazing you know being able to just affirm the journey affirm his perseverance affirm his creativity, affirm his determination. um, And, you know, a lot of his choices in that, that's what I focused on, because I really honestly had no clue about the end result and how he would get there. It was way beyond me, but it was so beautiful to watch him just like stick to it. And I like, I thought that was incredible. (laughs) So I think those kinds of things are are what we can do with our kids, creating space and time for them to pursue whatever it is that they happen to be interested in. Like I haven't forced my kids to paint, like that's not they do, but I haven't forced it on them. And they each kind of have their own niches of art things that they want to do. And I it's been so cool to see their own personalities come out in those expressions of how they choose to, you know, pursue it. But yeah, I think creating space, creating time, affirming the process, and just whenever they do express interest in something that is artistic, don't be afraid, because I Mm -hmm. honestly believe like it will, it'll be in one more way that they will potentially get to know an aspect of God, love God's character.
0: Beautiful. Well, this was absolutely delightful. I, I have one more question for you that we asked every every one of our guests here on, on Anchored. And I actually gonna and I didn't even prep you for that, so so we'll <laughs> see how it goes. I'm gonna ask you of course the question we always ask if there's if there's one book or one text that mm. has been most impactful in your life, what would it be? And if it's the Bible, give me it's a specific not. book. Okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> not to say that the Bible isn't at you all.
0: Know, right, <laughs> I mean, right, right.
1: Okay. So I feel like there's three or four different answers to this based on how I want to kind of segment it. But as a kid, for me, as a kid, I definitely would say that the book Charlie and the Chocolate Factory by Roald Dahl was the book that literally unlocked my, you know, the power of the imagination for me and just how... From that point on, every book I read, I felt like my imagination just went wild. And so that, but that was the book that unlocked that for me, but that was a kid. And then I would definitely say that in my 30-somethings, the book, The Hole in Our Gospel by Richard Stearns Mm -hmm. was a deeply influential book for me that helped me to understand how to use my influence for good and then another one that is very recent like was basically through the pandemic that that really impacted me was John Mark Comer uh, i don't know if you've heard of him but he's uh, he's a he used to be a pastor actually in portland he, he is no longer but he wrote a book called the ruthless elimination of hurry and it just really again emphasized the importance of like the art of slow living and intentional living and that to me was a really great read and then um, most recently I would as I've quoted him often in this uh, this podcast but right. Makoto Fujimara's book Art and Faith to me it's a very special gift to be not only an artist but also also an author most of what I paint it it literally will like take me dozens of paintings before I actually can start to like, be like, Lord, what are you doing here? What are, What's happening? I don't know what's going on, because often it's just so intuitive. And I just have to get it out and paint it. I don't know. and I, It's so hard to put words to it. It's only because I've now been painting for over 20 years that I feel like I, I can somewhat talk to, you know, what it is that goes on in my heart and mind. But Makoto Fujimara, I felt when I read that book, I was like, This is like the beat of my heart. Like this totally represents how and why I do what I do. And I loved how we worded it. And so that it really resonated with me. So that's a great read for any, I think, aspiring Christian artist.
0: Fantastic. And then just a quick follow up. I don't know if that's even a fair question. Do you have a favorite painting?
1: Ooh, yes, I do. It's Van Gogh's Irises.
0: Okay, Van yeah.
1: which We're I actually gonna... see in
0: person at some. <laughs> We're all going to look it up now uh, after yeah. <laughs> <laughs> after listening. Well, Rochelle, I have had the honor to to look at some of your your art already. Where can our our listeners go to to see your art to to find out more?
1: So I have a website. It is literally just my name. So it's RochelleCairns.com. Uh, and so that is the best way to stay in touch with me. I do an you know an email newsletter if you want to stay informed about what's going on in, in the arts as well. I'm pretty present on Instagram. And so my hashtag there is Rochelle underscore Cairns. And you can DM me there, and I will respond. Yeah. Other than that, I think that I think that's basically it.
0: <laughs> wonderful. Well, this was absolutely delightful. Again, we're here with Rochelle Cairns, uh, who is an artist from Toronto, but now lives in Seattle. This was this was a wonderful conversation, Rochelle. Thank you so much for joining us today.
1: It's been great to talk to you. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Anchored. If you enjoyed it, please be sure to leave a rating or review on your podcast platform of choice. And remember to subscribe and share with your friends and colleagues. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time.